The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment today, I'll be talking with Josh Levy from freepress.net, and we'll be talking about the end of net neutrality and what we have to do to save the Internet. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson join us from the other side of Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with a regular contributor, the blogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMoss. Welcome to the show, Neil. Hey, Heather, how's it going? Oh, not bad, besides the Internet's dead. <laughs> I'm already... Yeah, we, we don't need that. Yeah, we don't need that. I'm just waiting until... to use it for anything. I'm just waiting until Comcast blocks your site because of the nasty things you wrote about their Virginia Beach arena plans. Oh, man, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, well, everybody come and read it really fast before it gets taken down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just a side note, I'm having issues streaming audio already, and it's just like, oh, God, this is annoying. Anyways, uh, you recently attended a meeting in the Bronx about the NYCFC stadium proposal. Where have the What are the main takeaways from that meeting? Um, the main takeaway from the meeting for me was that people in the Bronx are still really, really, really angry about uh, the fact that People keep trying to land sports stadiums in their neighborhood without consulting them. I mean, I did, let's see, what year is this? It was a little over eight years ago the Yankees were first proposing their stadium, and I remember the first big like town meeting that they had there um, where uh, the, this, there had already been sort of some pushback from you know, local community members and protests and things like that. So I remember the New York City Parks Department came, and they were all excited. They were like, we've got a new plan, you know, we're going to, like, shift things around. And, like, instead of keeping part of the old stadium, we'll have three ball fields on the new park that won't open for several years instead of just one. And you could tell they were really excited and thought this was going to go over really well. And everybody was like, boom! Like, you know, I really thought they were going to start throwing chairs. Wow. Um, this was about the same. <laughs> I mean, you know, there was certainly a big parade of people who said, oh, the Yankees give lots of money to my local soccer league or whatever, and we're really excited because the Yankees are great, you know, community partners. Um, but you heard a lot of people getting up there and saying, why are we giving all this money and all this land to um, some rich guy from the Middle East who um, owns the Manchester City team um, when, you know, if this parking garage is something that can be torn down. Um, you know, there's lots of other things that we could be we could be building there, and let's look into that. And as one person pointed out, when the Yankees were originally proposing a stadium, and people were saying, "Why are you building it in our park? Why don't you build it south of the stadium where there's this parking garage?" They said, "Oh no, no, you could never put a stadium there." But now <laughs> for soccer, it's something okay. Wow. Um, yeah, you wrote that the the most popular thing was just to have a the, the third option, which was building something else at that site completely. Some person, I think, one person mentioned that. For, you can build a ton more soccer fields on you know that site than just one soccer stadium. What's the chances of that idea actually coming to fruition? You know, we really don't know. It's such a different world in New York right now, right? I mean, we've had 20 years of first Giuliani and then Bloomberg as mayor, and they both, you know, they had a lot of differences, but they were both very much of the, you know, what developers want, you know, it's our job to try and give to them mindset. Um, and now you have Bill de Blasio as mayor, who, you know, is not a 180-degree change from that, but is certainly way more, well, we're only going to consider stuff that makes sense, and we want to make sure there's benefits for the community. The new head of the council speaker is, you know, the new speaker of the city council is, uh, who actually represents the district where the soccer stadium would go, and she's been very skeptical about this stuff. So, you know, we don't know. I mean, I think there's definitely going to be some work in the neighborhood with people trying to put together some sort of plan about not 
you know, what do we, what kind of stadium do we want? But what do we want with the site? And does the stadium make sense? Whether they're the ones who are going to end up getting heard, and you know, where the mayor and the council speaker to come down this stuff, it's we really do not know. I mean, like I said, it's a it's a very different world than it was in New York just a month ago, um, and it's going to be. I'm be watching it very very closely. Uh, meanwhile, back at home, closer to this station, um, the city officials of Anaheim still can't decide the value of a parking lot at, at Anaheim Stadium that uh, Angels owner Artie Moreno wants to develop that land with a one dollar per year lease. Evaluating the worth of land shouldn't be this hard, should it? Uh, is the city trying to avoid an unpleasant reality of what Artie is currently asking them to do? Well, it's not totally a slam dunk to figure out how much land is worth, right? Okay. Because you have to, it, really what you're saying is how much would somebody else give you for the land and for the development rights um, if you had it on the open market, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a little bit like trying to guess how much you should uh, put your item on eBay for. You know, you can sort of estimate it, but until you do it, you don't know, you don't know what it's going to be worth. So I, I think that there's some legitimacy to saying, well, we're not quite sure. Given the fact that the estimates have gone anywhere from $30 million to $380 million, which is a tremendous difference, you'd think they could at least narrow it down to a better range by now. And I, yeah, it is a little worrisome that they have, you know, this many weeks and months into it are still saying, oh, yeah, we don't really know. Um, it doesn't take that long to, um, you know, try and figure out at least, you know, they should at least know what the assessed value is. They should at least have some sense of, like, what similar properties are. You know, I with this, going back to the New York City Bronx thing, I asked for the value of the land for that from the city's independent budget office. And a few hours later, they said, oh, okay, well, here's some numbers that are probably pretty close. Yeah. So it, you'd think they could at least come up with something. Um, and the, more, the longer this goes on, the more you think that they're stonewalling and not just, you know, having trouble with Excel. Yeah, definitely. Well, the other thing I, that I thought, too, is usually you, uh, you know, evaluate land property on adjacent parcels, but the parcel in Anaheim, that land mass, that is so big that there's no other really thing to compare it to with that much acreage altogether that's empty. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely difficult, but again, you'd think that they could come up with some some range, at least, right? That yeah. Would, that would make sense. I mean, the, this, this is there are people who spend their lives doing nothing but valuing land. <laughs> so you think they could they could figure this out? Um, and I, you know, I don't I don't know. You know, I mean, it's it's such a, so weird politically there. Um, you know, with the council on one side, the mayor on the other side, um, that it's 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 hard for me to tell uh, exactly what's motivating them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on the topic of land values, an interesting story out of Sacramento came out this past week that claims that the city undervalued the land that the King's Arena will eventually sit on as a secret subsidy for the new owners of the teams since they overpaid for that franchise. Can this blossom into a bigger story that potentially will end the arena deal? Um, it could definitely blossom into a bigger story given past... Um Given past instances of things like this, I would be skeptical whether it's actually going to get to do much to the deal. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen we've seen this happen over and over again. You know, uh, in Brooklyn when the Nets were first playing their arena and they got to buy the land uh, from the state, which had a rail yard there for a hundred million dollars, 
and people were screaming bloody murder, saying, oh, my goodness, this is like, you know, the heart of Brooklyn. Brooklyn is booming. You know, there's other people who would have spent a lot more money on that. You know, isn't this a huge giveaway? And the answer was, yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> well, so it, it, I think it could be certainly a scandal for the politicians involved in that it looks bad if they were, you know, uh, undervaluing uh-huh. the, the value of the land. But I don't know that there's anything that you can do to stop them from doing that, you know? Yeah. All you can do is say, hey, this was really worth more than you said it was. And they can say, yeah, well, okay, you got it. <laughs> well, I thought the Nets deal with the Barclay Arena, I thought that was sitting on top. I thought that was air rights where it was sitting on top of the rail yard. No, they moved the rail yard. Oh, they moved they, the they, rail yard. They could, they, they, for an arena, you have to have all this stuff underneath it, you know, to... Uh, you know, support the arena and to, like, load in the elephants for the circus and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, so they actually took the rail yard and moved it to a different site, which is what uh, wound up being a lot of the, the city and state cost. Um, but uh, the the land was, I mean, of course, the, it's not like the Barclays Center actually bought the land, right? They didn't get the land for $100 million and actually own it because that would be crazy because you have to pay property taxes on it. Yeah. But they got the use of the land for $100 million. Um, which was, you know, I think everybody agrees way below market value. But again, you know, it was a site that was that did not have a lot of good comparables, right? It's not like there's a whole lot of other rail yards in downtown Brooklyn that you can compare it to. And, uh, you know, people were arguing back and forth about how much it was actually worth. And in the end, it was like, well, you know what? Whatever it's actually worth, here's what we're giving it away for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we, don't, and we don't have to have a public auction of this land. We can just sell it to who we want to. And so, you know, like it or lump it. Yeah, no bid uh, contracting comes up again. Yep. Um, so uh, can you compare and contrast what FC Barcelona is doing with their major remodeling of its stadium versus what usually happens with the U.S. and stadium improvements? For example, what the Miami Heat is currently asking for uh, from the city of Miami. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while, I mean, I, I follow European soccer uh, slightly, you know, mostly to try and uh, figure out whether it's Messi or Neymar who's injured this week. <laughs> Um, but like I, you know, I, I don't follow the, the politics of it nearly as closely as I do the U.S. And every time one of these things comes up, um, I'm just always astounded to be reminded of how differently things work there. You know? Yeah. So they've been they've been Barcelona has been talking for years about you know do we want to replace our stadium? Do we want to renovate it? Do we want to expand it? And they finally settled on about uh, I think it's about an 800 million dollar. Um, remodeling plan, renovation probably is the wrong word for it, because they would redo a lot of the stadium. I think it's sort of a rebuild-in-place model, because um, they keep playing there, but they would, you know, add luxury seating and redo the seating bowl and add a roof and add restaurants and things like that. And they said their, their reason that they decided to do that was because, well, of course, we have to pay for all this, and it wouldn't make, you know, it would be too much debt to take on if we had to build an entirely new 100,000-seat stadium. Um which you never hear teams in the U.S. saying, right? You never hear owners saying, well, um, we can't afford anything more than this, so this is all we're going to build. When they can't afford anything more than this, they say, well, we can't afford anything more than this, so of course someone else will have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, So it's just a very, very different world. It's just a reminder of how differently team owners would behave if, you know, the U.S., uh, political community to, you know, were not uh, in the habit of bending over backwards for them. Um, and then, of course, you have the piece that it's, it's, which doesn't, you know, 
the other piece, which is that uh, this actually has to go to a vote, not uh, you know, not of the public in, in Barcelona because it's not public money, but of the actual Barcelona uh, members, you know, the the fans who are shareholders of the team, um, which is again very different from the way it gets dealt with in the U.S., where you know nobody votes on anything if you can help it. Is there a shareholder set up a lot like the Green Bay Packers, where you don't essentially get any money, you just have a voting say in the franchise? I think so. I mean, it's it's. I think it's such a different, you know, legal model that there's probably some differences. But in terms of the effect, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's professional managers who run the team, um, but uh, on uh, on on things like this, where it's, you know, I don't know what the threshold has to be. You know, clearly going and signing a new, you know, midfielder or something isn't something you have to put to a vote of the, yeah. of the members. Um, but on something like this, they actually do have to go and, and you know, and have a vote. Um, I don't think the Packers had to do that when they when they renovated Lambeau Field, although I could be wrong. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a slightly similar model. But, again, you know, it's European soccer is so different from, you know, U.S. pro sports in so many ways that it's, you know, it's different. <laughs> it's almost like a different country. Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather deal with professional managers if I was a sports professional than someone like, say, Daniel Snyder. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely, you know, a better model in many ways, you know, where where you aren't locked into the one crazy owner. Um, you know, you might have the, the, <laughs> crazy, the craziness of the mob, you know, but, I mean, like, at least you're going to have somebody, uh, you know, Team presidents don't always do the best for the team, you know, what's best for the team or best for the public either, but um, you're right. It's, at least it's not just having to worry about um, some rich guy who happens to say, hey, I'm going to buy myself a team. Yeah, I, I think Tom Ricketts is well on his way to Daniel Snyder territory, but we'll see on that one. There is a long list of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, lastly, during the NFC Championship game, uh, Fox broadcaster Terry Bradshaw had the former owner of the Seahawks and the current owner paul ellen on stage to present the nfc championship trophy uh, i wish i had a dvr because i would have went back and taped this and i can't seem to find this clip on the internet but basically terry parroted the logic that CenturyLink field saved the seahawks in seattle he uh, terry didn't go on to mention that the public was so fleeced by the building of CenturyLink field and safeco that the voters actually passed initiative 91 can you revisit that history briefly yeah i mean both the Seahawks and the Mariners clearly were threatening to move if they didn't get new stadiums, but everybody was threatening to move if they didn't get new stadiums in those days and continues to, you know? Yeah. So um, I remember um, with the Mariners in particular, even after they got their initial round of funding approved, they went back and said, oh, it's going to cost more. We're going to move to Vancouver, uh, which at the time I think it might have had like a single-A ball club or maybe not even that. Um, and they, you know, didn't have a stadium at all. Um, I guess they could have moved to BC Place, but uh, they were like, you know, we're going to move there if we don't, if we don't, uh, if we don't get uh, even more money. And the state legislature caved. Um, and you know, same thing with the Seahawks. You know, it was it was one of the uh, rhetorical talking points that Alan was using when he was buying his own referendum. I don't know if you remember this, but you know, no. they, the he went and said, I want to have a. a referendum on, you know, public money f- towards a new football stadium, and they said, well, you know, we can't get it on the ballot that quickly. It'll cost too much money. And he said, oh, don't worry, I'll pay for it then. Wow. <laughs> and legislature said, oh, okay, fine, as long as you're paying for it. So he spent a bunch of money on, the, on holding the referendum, and he spent a bunch more money on, uh, on lobbying for his side, 
and wound up winning, um, you know, and got a lot more in public money than he had put out on, on holding the vote. So, yeah, I mean, we, see, we hear this all the time. You know, we hear announcers, especially, you know, sports announcers who only, you know, have paid attention to anything beyond, you know, are there going to be more comfortable chairs in the press box? Um, so you hear them saying, oh, you know, this team never would would be here without the stadium. This team never would be successful without the stadium. And, you know, it's because it's what the team owners say, and that's who they're, who they're listening to largely. So. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm disappointed, obviously, that 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 old uh, old line comes up, but I'm not particularly surprised. Yeah, definitely. Neil DeVos, he runs fieldofschemes.com. It's a great website, and uh, I think his fundraiser is on continuing on. So if you want to support his work, that would be a great way to do that. Thanks for being on the show this week. Absolutely, and uh, if uh, if uh, the internet goes away, I guess I'll uh, take the money from the fundraiser and go set up. Set up shop on the dark internet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks, Neil DeMoss, and we'll be back with Josh Levy from Free Press to talk about the end of the internet.